this afternoon, we're talking spiritual liberty, part two. Uh, coming from the book of Isaiah, the 52nd chapter. And I told you, it sounds like a victorious church that has awakened, that he's awakened here, and that they're walking in the liberty of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Not exactly physical liberty, but along with the spiritual, the spiritual impinges upon the physical sometime, and sometime a shadow of what's going on in the physical may kind of display what's going on in your spiritual life. But if Christ had made us alive, he had quakened us, quickened us, and he says awaken. In other words, be conscious, be aware of that God had set you free. He had made us free. And in that freedom, that salvation, this is the day of salvation. Uh, and that the church, he's told them to put on beautiful garments. In other words, festal garments. And go up to Jerusalem, the holy, holy city. And he talks about the oppression, the oppression that they had came out of in Babylon, or that they would come out of. He says, Therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that do it speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that said unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. So that's a, this is a victorious liberated church that's preaching the good news of the gospel that's the publication of peace that's the good news and all that entails and goes along with that it seems as though they've fallen off the ropes of bondage and last time we were talking about liberty and God had set us free and his truth is the instrumentality whereby that was used to set us free and the truth sets us free that is freedom within within marriage also freedom within the church that is freedom abundant freedom in other words the liberty that's in Christ Jesus and we're no longer bound a lot of us are bound in life and there are people that could make anything miserable the Pharisees made religion or church life miserable with their laws and with the way they saw religion and religion is not meant to be a shackle or anything that keeps you from enjoying peace and happiness and joy in the Holy Spirit or whatever. So these are good tidings. This is good news and that's why God had freed us to, to make good choices and choices that would keep us free and those choices are only within the will of God, within the Statue and judgment of God. The book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, the 15th through the 20th verse reads, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, 
and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go in to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thine life, and the length of thine days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thine fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to them. So we see here that God had liberated us. He had set us free from bondage. This bondage was spiritual bondage, but it also loosens physical shackles also. The anointing is what breaketh the yoke. Now, there be many of things religion and society and traditions has bound us by in a, in a religious setting, uh, in a setting that we thought was of God. But whenever we come unto Christ and take his yoke up on us and learn of him, in other words, he says his burden is easy, his burden is light, and his yoke is easy. So if we would learn in Him, learn of Him, because it's people sometimes who hold us in bondage and hold us captive to where we're miserable on the job, we're miserable at home, we're miserable all the time. There's no joy in our lives. There's no peace. But if He, when He comes into our lives and bursts us again, He say, my peace I give unto you. Such an extraordinary peace that when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. He said he gives you joy and abundant joy, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. He gives you a joy no man can take it away, only you can give it away. Only you can loose those bonds and tie yourself up and get wrapped up and entangle again into the yoke of bondage into the things of this world allow people come back into bondage of mankind or else you could stay awoke you could be awakened to that you're a son of God and you know what your inheritance entail and that speaking the word of God and walking in the word of God you realize that he had given you dominion He had given you authority over all the forces of the enemy. He had set you free. In in other words, in this reconciliation, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. So liberty is in Christ Jesus. So we have to maintain freedom. And it's not easy maintaining freedom because everything out there seeks to bind you. It seems seeks to bring you in captivity. It's like a parasite. It feeds off of you. It feeds off of your energy. It feeds off of everything that you have. And I, I once preached, I heard he says, a lot of people that spiritual people or whatever come after you, but what they're after is the anointing that you have on you. 
they can see, uh, they know of that anointing, and they'll get under your skin. They'll get that away from you. They'll get you completely out of the blessings of God. They are, the, the, it says the devil, the enemy, Satan comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. That's what the thief comes from. He's not providing anything for you. He's not giving you something. He's always taking something. We don't like to take us. We'd much rather be givers if we'd much rather be around givers. It says it's better to give than to receive. John 8, chapter, the 31st to the 37th verse says, So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, that is, continually obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, then you truly are my disciples. That's when you are truly my disciples. Uh, the Amplified Version says, Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, everyone who practices sin habitually is a slave of sin. And now the slave does not remain in the household forever, but the son of the master does remain forever. He says, and you will know the truth regarding salvation. You'll know what's the truth, and the truth will set you free from the penalty of sin. But that's the truth is in his word. His word is true. Jesus is the personification of truth. He that's why the express image of Jesus, we're trying to be created in his image and his likeness. We are trying to allow that same mind to be in us that was in him. And we get that through regeneration. We get that through walking as he walked, living as he walked. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean saying you will be set free? But they didn't understand. And Jesus was trying to explain to them because even at that time, they were in bondage to the Romans. The Romans was ruling over them. If, if if your spouse is ruling over you, if they're bearing rule over you, that, that should be liberty. Even in a marriage, there's liberty. Wherever you go, Christ had set you free. There's no male or female. There's no bond or free. There's no... Uh, in other words, Christ's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. That's why he says, submit yourself unto one another. In other words, it's unto us the rules and the laws of God is written unto us on our hearts. So we're being led by the Spirit of God, walking by faith, which does not contradict God's Scriptures. That doesn't contradict God's Scriptures right there because we're in Christ Jesus. We're being led by the Spirit of God. So as we go on a little bit further here, though, it says, Now the slave does not remain in the household forever. The son of the master does remain so. So if the son makes you free, then you are free indeed. You are unquestionably free. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you plan to kill me because my word has no place to grow in you and it makes no change in your heart. In other words, my law hasn't changed the characteristics of you. You're a murderer as your father was. He was a liar and a murderer in the beginning. 
the characteristics of who you are and what you do. In other words, your action shows this. And you're saying that you're Abraham's descendants, but you are your father, the devil, not being, that's why when he says awakened, we have to realize who we are and what we are and that we've been regenerated, but some of them can't hear that call. They can't hear that effectual call because it's not God's word that's in them. They may have a profession of faith. They may profess God's word. They may profess religion, but they actually hadn't been born again. They're not of God. They're not being led by his spirit. He said, then many of the Jewish leaders who heard him say these things began believing him to be the Messiah. Jesus said to them, you are truly my disciples if you live as I tell you to. And if you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, so you have to live a certain way. There's liberty in Christ Jesus, but it follows a particular lifestyle. You can't live any kind of way and still be the child of God. That's why I say we we, we got a problem in society today with the younger people the younger generation and the older generations that are not in Christ Jesus because to them religion is just a form. It has no power to it. That's what's causing the divisions in the households and everywhere else because it's utter chaos. It breeds anxiety and vexation of spirit. It breeds where a lot of husbands just want to get out of the house or the woman just wants to get away. That's why they're talking about men caves and all these other things. If we would respect one another and have the word of God in us, we have the liberty to have all these things and possess all these things, but still not be afraid in the being bondage and in slavery to one another. Uh God chose to illustrate our enslaved condition through his rescue of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from bondage in Egypt when he brought them out of Egypt and then he gave them a set of commandments of laws. And not necessarily to live by, but the laws were showing them where they were transgressing God. In other words... The law was added because of transgressions. Because of their failure to live in a certain way. So he set up a group of statutes and precepts and conditions. But he didn't give them a heart to believe. He didn't give them a heart of understanding to do these things. So thus it was contrary to their nature. It was contrary to their carnality because by being flesh and carnal, it was weak through that very law. The law couldn't change man. It would take the spirit to change man and to make man a spirit being to whereby God's laws then would be written on his heart and that he would delight in God's laws and God's laws wouldn't be grievous unto him. The law wouldn't be grievous unto them at that point. So 
He desired to free them from their servitude and establish them as a separate nation of their own and a people free to determine the quality and outcome of their lives. That's what he did with Israel. But with us today, he calls us out of the world, but he leaves us in the world. He calls us out of the world, but he leaves us in the world, but he gives us an internal power. He said, you shall be endued with power from on high. This power would give us the capability, the ability to be separate from the people. In other words, to come out from among them and be separate. In other words, it would change our desires and our longings in that we were no more in bondage to the world or the things of the world just like they were in bondage in Egypt and was a slave to their to their lust and passions to the pride of life and to the desires and the bondage of the Egyptians but when he calls us out of Babylon he calls us spiritually and as we walk in the laws of God and walk in the liberty in that ever increasing faith what the anointing does that anointing of the Holy Spirit that Holy Ghost that is born within us that is birthed that spirit that's in us it releases us it's in a process of releasing us that salvation is releasing us from the shackles and the bondage of this world because the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. You are no longer in bondage to Satan. Now who you yield yourselves as servant to, to obey him whose servant you are. But now since you are born again, you are servant of Jesus Christ, you are servant of righteousness. So you're freed from sin, but you're freed unto righteousness. You can't continue to yield your members to unrighteousness. You can't serve sin or else you're a servant of sin. You're a slave and you're not a, you're, you're not a son any longer. The son abides in the house forever. The son is given eternal life. If we're sons of God, he gave us the power to become sons of God. In other words, there's a process that loosens us from the shackles as when he called Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus was alive, but he was still bound. He, thus he says, loose him and let him go. We have to be loosed from the world. Now what's going to happen, the world and people in your family, it says the enemies will be those of y'all. So they're going to start, they're going to think it strange they're going to start looking at you as an enemy when you start enjoying the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. It's just like if you was Jewish or if you was a Muslim or something and you start eating your hot dog or you ate your good pork chop or something and, and say, well, no, we don't do that because of our religion. Well, no, see, that's where it's different because food doesn't commend us to God I'm not doing this around you or bound you to weaken your conscience or anything. 
but I'm free. The liberty in Christ Jesus gives me the authority to eat whatever I want to eat because food doesn't commend me to God. You and your son and you and your family or somebody enjoying certain things, that's part of the tithes at one time in the Old Testament. You would see that God says, go buy and eat what you want to eat and enjoy it. That's the liberty that's in Christ Jesus for you to enjoy those things. Now, don't be a glutton. Don't become gluttonous. But there is a liberty in Christ Jesus, but there are others that try to hinder your liberty. So a lot of times when you've been and had a good time, or you've been and done something you really wanted and you enjoyed, you and someone else had enjoyment, here comes some down a Debbie or somebody to try to rain on your parade and make you feel bad for having a good time. God doesn't forbid us from having a good time. Thus all of the festivals and holidays that the Word of God entail and have all of the different feasts and the enjoyments that God gives us. It's only Satan that tries to betray God as someone that blocks your happiness and your desires. Now once at liberty, the Egyptians were no longer subject to the orders and the decisions of the pagan Egyptians. Working through Moses, God succeeded in his purpose and Israel was sold as a free people in their own land to do what they want to do. Now notice though, However, the Israelites never truly learned the lesson of what having liberty to choose required of them. John 8, 31 through 37 tells us about that when Jesus confronted them some 1,500 years later and they say, we be the children of Abraham and that we were free. Remember, that's why I just not read, that they were in bondage to nobody. Well, through their lifestyle, they brought themselves under bondage because God freed them into unto liberty, and that liberty entails walking in His commandments and in His Word, His statutes, precepts, and judgments. So what brought them into captivity and the position they are in was the same thing as Gideon. When Gideon asked, if the Lord be for us, why are we in the condition we are in? because of your disobedience to God. Liberty also has its responsibilities. There's also responsibilities in liberty. They were responsible for their conduct and their attitudes. That's what changed the picture. Their conduct and their attitude. So God set them in their own land, but they were rebellious against God the whole time. Their religion became hypocritical. They became a people that oppressed one another. They became a people that was in rebellion against God. Even during the Israelites' wilderness journey, after being freed from Egypt, the flaws in their thinking began to surface in their conduct. Some of them even wanted to go back when they remembered the food that they ate. We remember the leeks, the onions, and the melons, and the garlic. But do you remember that you were making brick without straw? That you have to gather your own straw? Did you remember that you were in slavery and bondage? Within just two years, they rejected the righteous leadership of Moses. They was ready to throw him over 
They was refusing to exercise their liberty to choose to enter the promised land. And the spies went up and said, well, we can't do it. They didn't have faith in God saying, I've given you that land. Like I say, freedom has to be maintained. They was going to have to go in and fight for that land. But God was going to be with them. In a lot of our battles, we don't realize the battle is the Lord, but we the instrumentality whereby God brings about the victory. We're the new lights of the world. When he was in the world, he was the light of the world, but now that he's taken out, we're the light. We, we should be his authorized representative on earth. We should present our bodies as living sacrifices unto him. That's what he had called us unto. So we're called unto suffering just like Paul. He says, tell him or show him how much he's going to have to suffer. I'm going to say the result of that choice was every adult Israelite perished in the wilderness except Caleb and Joshua was the only two to go into the promised land. So we must keep our nose to the grindstone following God, studying his word, walking his word when others don't. Joshua took the generation in later on when Joshua got ready to take them into the promised land. Uh, God had to prepare another generation to follow him. After he died, the nation quickly deteriorated from the dynamic bastion of righteousness that God intended them to be choosing to abandon godly causes they they had followed under Joshua. They went into decline, and during the time of Samuel, they asked for a king. You remember they asked for a king under under, uh, Saul, God gave them Saul to be king. They wanted a king to rule over them. God was no longer their king. And see, God had told them through Samuel what a king would do. And from the time of Saul until the time of Solomon, taxation and everything that God had foretold the king would do had happened. And it's still happening in religion today, in politics today. Most of the people, a lot of the churches and things they're coming away from, just like during the time of Jesus, was because of the money changers. Today it's the prosperity teachers and the prosperity of the church that turns a lot of people away. Now the masses follow them because broad is the road to destruction. And they love hearing of prosperity or whatever. But the true people of God were saying during that time, 1 Kings, the 12th verse, in the 4th chapter, when Rehoboam was taken over from his father Solomon, it says, Thy father made our yokes grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous servants of thy father and his heavy yoke which is upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. So that bondage has become, had become heavier and heavier. And there shouldn't be bondage in serving God. In the church, people have started, because of the teaching and the false teaching, they look at the Sabbath day as a day of bondage, a day that they didn't want, that they didn't, they rejected God's Sabbath, and that's 
one of the reasons they went into captivity, the 70 years captivity, is for not observing the Sabbath. For not observing the Sabbath. And Jesus had a couple of run-ins with him about this Sabbath because of wrong teachings they had gotten unto a wrong understanding. And that's the problem with some in religion is that Satan enters in, the Antichrist enters in, and the liberty that you had once enjoyed, there were others that come in to spy out that liberty and to teach doctrine that's contrary to sound doctrine to bring you back into bondage again. And that's what was happening in the book of Second Peter. Second Peter. The false teachers and the false preach prophets was in there. Second Peter seventeen, verse to the twenty second verse of chapter two. It says these false teachers are springs without water, mist driven by tempest, for whom is reserved the gloom of blackness for uttering arrogant words of vanity, pompous words disguised to sound scholarly are profound, but meaning nothing and containing no spiritual truth. They beguile and lure using lustful desires by sensuality those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. In the church, in other words, they're preaching these things about money, about freedom, about dress, there's a lot of lascivious dressing and adorning going on in the church. The music that we're listening to. All of this the false preachers and teachers are bringing into the church. And what it does, it ensnares those that had barely made it out of the world. It promised them liberty, but it brings them back into bondage. They're entangled in that yoke of bondage again. Satan ministers have been transformed into ministers of light and they don't want you free again. Bondage is bondage. If you're in bondage to your teacher, if you're in bondage to the church, if you're in bondage, bondage is bondage. There's no liberty there. And they bring us back. It says they promise them liberty when they themselves are the slaves of, of depravity for by whatever anyone is defeated and overcome to that, to that person, to that thing, to that philosophy, or to that concept, he is continually enslaved. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world by a personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Savior Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them they are overcome. Their last condition has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have ever known it than to have known and turned back from the holy commandment handed down to them. The thing spoken of in the, of in the true proverb has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and a sow is washed only to wallow again in the mire. They promise liberty, freedom, and perhaps from keeping God's law. And they say, you are in the grace and truth. Now, you don't have to keep the law, 
But that getting away from God's law is what brings them into bondage, just like it brought Israel into bondage and captivity to the Romans, to the Babylonians and everything because they had gotten out of God's law. Breaking the law, transgressing God's law brings captivity because the penalty for sin and transgression of God's law is death. It's captivity. And that's what God's word has promised. They bring tribulation and damnation upon themselves. Uh, We have to be careful when we have liberty because liberty is something a lot of people by not being acquainted with it causes danger and that's why when we says that Satan turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in other words this fellowship this person out of the church Turning, turn him over to those lusts that he ensnared by. So by their sexual immorality, drug use, whatever the sin may be, they get so entrenched in that sin that the church has turned them over to they see the vileness, they see the worthlessness, they see what sin has done to them, and hopefully they are repent because they see what sin has done, done to them. They're kind of like the prodigal son. When he came to himself and realized he was in that pig pen eating the pods as the, as the swine was, he came to himself and said, look, my father has slaves and everything, and here I am living like this. Sometime when God turns you over to your devices, and he turns people over to reprobate mind. He, he turns people over. It's for the destruction of the flesh, hoping to save the soul in that day because you have turned your lis- liberty and lasciviousness. You have misused it because there are so many people coming to the church unrepentant. They're lustful. They hadn't changed or left what they have. And so when, when that prosperity and all of those things come, they corrupt all of those around them because now you're saturated with those things that are corruptible, but your mind is not toward God. So you're unrepentant, so you die in that condition. That's what Job didn't understand about the wicked and prospering and the prosperity of the wicked. Because sometimes God allows those things, and because retribution or punishment against an evil work is not carried out swiftly, some people continue in that sin and are fixed and fitted in in that sin. Judas, Jesus never approached Judas about stealing from the bag, yet and still he knew Judas was stealing from the bag. But that corruption led to greater and greater sin. It led to Judas confronting Christ about that very bag and says, well, look, this woman didn't waste this material, all of this money on you pouring this expensive ointment. Why wasn't that ointment sold 
and the proceeds given to the poor. Well, he was saying that because he was stealing money from out of the bag. That's what he confronted Jesus on. He sin so overwhelmed him that he sold the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. Which didn't profit him anything. There's no joy. There's no feeling. Satan wishes to kill and destroy. After he had used Judas to this point, Judas tried to give the money back to the Pharisees. And they said, well, we, we can't put that in the treasure. That's blood money. Judas was so disturbed that he went and hung himself. He committed suicide. His own greed brought him to that point. See, liberty is like giving a child, say, well, you can do what you want today. You, you have the freedom however you want to eat or whatever you do. Well, that child wouldn't pick rice and gravy or broccoli or vegetable or three-course meal or something with protein and everything. They may pick chocolate ice cream and cake and stuff to eat until they make themselves sick. We have to watch our liberty and the liberty we have in Christ Jesus, the liberty of the power that we enjoy. God gives us power, and, and this nation has misused the power that God has given them in various instances. But they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we have to be careful in all we see, say, and do. Now John 8 proves that the, despite possessing both biblical and historical records, as well as being taught by the very God of creation, right in their presence, individual Israelites failed to choose to be free of the spirits of slavery which they were currently in bondage of. These Pharisees, they fought against Jesus, the truth that Jesus was trying to teach. So it is today. Why? Well, they never overcame the slave mentality that their ancestors learned in Egypt in which they succeeded in passing on from generation to generation. It had become physically... See, all of these, that's why it says, from dust you come to dust you shall return. Unless you are born again, you must needs be born again because you have to have a new way of thinking. Your, our thoughts are not like his thoughts. So they wasn't approaching it from a born again perspective. He has to circumcise you and give you a new heart. It can't be done with the old heart. You have to have a new heart. You must be born again. Like their ancestors, they were slaves of sin and passed the same self-centered thinking processes on to their children. And that's why he visited the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, sometimes these become generational curses. We have to purge those out. That's why I say, when God awakens us, Sometimes we have to put the kibosh on our children, on our parents, on our spouses, on whoever, because it's a radical change. It takes a radical individual to come in, as Jesus did, and establish the laws of God by faith. By faith, because it, it requires a destruction of the old world. 
or the way old way of thinking. We enjoy the liberty that's in Christ Jesus. But there are others that's going to come in preaching another Jesus as you do that. So as the time of the Pharisees, so during these times, your father was a preacher, your grandfather was a preacher, and that same corrupt line has been going down all the time, but maybe God sends it in someone to change that family, that descendant line, and make a radical change. They persisted in the same old carnal ways. They were each unwilling to make the changes in their thinking that God demanded after he called them out of Egypt. And despite the advantages, they did not change. And when God calls us out of the world, he's going to expect a change from us. There has to be a new man. We have to put the old man to death. It caused a radicalization to happen. John 8 is proof of how tightly bound we are to anti-God canality that's ingrained in our heart. And Paul said it in the book of Romans. Being a Pharisee, he seen this other law within his members that was fighting against the law of his mind because he had been born again, but that ingrained Phariseeic mentality was still there trying to bring him into bondage into captivity he saw this with him himself that's why we have to see these things and deny ourselves that's why he calls us to be awoke to awaken he calls us to consciousness to be aware of what's uh, what's residing in our body because now our body is neutral our body is the temple of the living God. But there are two spirits living within that body. And the reason they're struggling for that body because Satan wants that body to die and to be corrupted and to see corruption. Whereas the spirit's struggling to make that body and cleanse and wash that body. Say, he who says the Lord must have clean, clean hands. We must purge the temple and have it without a spot or a wrinkle because what God's going to do is come in and change that vile, corruptible body into an incorruptible body. Not another body. Now, we're going to be in that same body, but he's going to change it into immortal body, into an immortal body, no longer subject to death and decay, no longer subject to pain in the physicalities of this world. So your body is very important. Your body don't belong to you. That's why you must take care of the temple of God and not defile the temple of God. Well, we can't take part with a harlot or whatever. So we start to see the significance of that body. But we see a battle going on within that body, just like the battle that's going on in the body of Christ. Now the Jews ended Jesus' teaching session with their violent intentions toward him, so fulfilling their hearts that he escaped only because God intervened to protect his life. Remember, they came at him to push him off of that ravine. They were trying to kill him at that time. Whenever you, you come up against the things in the life, that's why it says walk circumspectively. Beware of your spouse. 
You beware of your children. You beware because you never know who Satan will influence. We never know. We have to be circumspective in this life. They grasp that he was telling them that they had to make changes in their thinking, but they could not bring themselves to make these changes. So he became an enemy to them. They said, who can keep these things or who could this is a hard saying you say when he says you must eat of my body and drink of my blood he was going against also the tradition of the elders he was talking about a change in society he's talking about a new world order in which God reigns supreme the liberty was in Christ Jesus not in the world and the people and the things of the world Simply put, they did not believe who he was and what he said. That he was the son of God and that that's why in in Isaiah when he says, then you will know who I am. You will know who God is. When the apostles knew, when Peter says, thou art the Christ. When you realize who God is, he says, then you will know. You remember the disciples on Emmanuel wrote, a man's road, they walked along with him, talking and interacting with him. It was only when he opened their eyes that they realized who he was. You remember he gave them bread and he sat down and ate, and then they realized that it was Jesus, and he disappeared out of their sight. Yes. See, God opens up our understanding to open, understand the scriptures, and in those scriptures is eternal life. And that's when that becomes our daily bread. That's our source because the scriptures are living. They are life. That's the eternal life. That's how man lives by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And this is the inspiration of the word of God. That's what sets us free. It's the truth. His word is truth. It's the way and the life. Rather than submit to them, they fought against them, and you can't overcome the truth. Figuratively, speaking figuratively about the truth and liberation, I have a couple of verses here. Where are we at here? It says, Isaiah 63 and 4 says, For the time has come for me to avenge my people, to redeem them from the hands of their oppressors. So there's an actual battle going on. Are we stepping up to the plate? Because he says, you'll rule and reign with me. So those words, when he's liberating us to walk in those positions that are open to us. Now, this day, today is the day of salvation. He says, for the day of day is a day of vengeance against ungodliness, as was in my heart and my and my year of redemption of those who put their trust in me, and the year of my redeem have come. Now it's the time. Are you looking at this year as the year that you're going to do great things for God? That God's going to set you free, that you expected. Are you expecting something from the Lord? Remember I say you have to strain to get a vision? Because it says the young men will dream dreams, and the old men will have vision. Are you looking for you to be part of that? Those promises of God. Galatians 3, 28 says, There is now no distinction in regard to salvation 
neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, neither there is male nor female. For you who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. No one can claim spiritual superiority. superiority. So there's no person greater than another person. We're all the same in Jesus Christ. Male and female, Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. And so as we go to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, 1st through the 2nd verse, it says, As God partners, we beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, your cry came to me at a favorable time when the door of welcome was open wide open. I helped you on a day when salvation was being offered. That is right now. God is ready to welcome you. Today is the day for him to save you. Today is that day of salvation. Now the church developed under inspiration of Jesus Christ an overall concept of time management unique to his church members. They was looking for this to happen at that time. And now we know that that time is closer than when he first appeared. So we think we're right at the end time. It has its roots in the Old Testament in Isaiah when it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Are we really seeking to get a glimpse of God? To find God because when we find God and He shines His face upon us, we find our purpose in God. There's liberty, there's freedom, and there's a purpose why we should seek Him. Because He has the power and the willingness, if we will just trust Him, to give us a completely new nature, breaking the vain, frustrating, repetitious Cycle. Do you want to get out of this endless cycle that we're in? Do you want the liberty the, 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 that comes with the children of God? The freedom in creation that God had given us to be. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is up on me because the Lord had anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to opening up a prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what we should be doing. Now, a lot of the gospel preachers and things are preaching this year of jubilee, this year of release, that God wants you to be the head and not the tail. Get away from that mentality that God wants you to be under. No, God wants you on top. God wants you to be overcomer. God wants you to show the liberty that's in Christ Jesus. That freedom that we enjoy. That freedom from bondage from the world. Because if he's punishing evildoers and we are cleansing ourselves, we start walking on the evildoers. We treat them as the dust of our feet. We start overcoming, and with that overcoming, now you, you, you have to watch your heart. You have to distinguish pity from mercy. You have to start realizing when the wicked is getting what God has for them, we can't lighten up, we have to tighten up. This is a prophecy that Jesus partially quoted as he began his ministry 
in the synagogue in Nazareth where he grew up in the book of Luke, the 18th, the 14th chapter, the 18th through the 19th verse. Now these passages here suggest an element of movement towards something about to happen, soon to happen. So that's what our gospel, that's what we're preaching and teaching. I think this is right now here at the door. If y'all are not ready, if y'all don't anticipate this, that's y'all problem. I'm preaching and saying that this, that Christ is right at the door. That he's about to do something big. Hopefully this year we'll start seeing this movement of God. That anointing to proclaim liberty. Isaiah 55 and 6 suggests we seek him urgently because the Lord is moving on and we do not if we do not seek him now, it may be too late. A lot of us won't be here. A lot of us won't be here. Now either you grow up, toughen up, wake up, and start putting on the robes of victory and walking in Christ Jesus because we're tired and we're about to pull off this old man and put on the new man. We will walk victoriously in Christ Jesus. Time and events within are moving on. We're not standing still. Uh, now, this teaching that he did on the, about the Sabbath day uh, with this woman in Luke the 13th chapter, we'll try to close with that, where he loosens us from her from being bound to her infirmities. And we need to start seeing some healings we need to start overcoming the plagues and the sicknesses that he had put up on the Egyptians because he says he wouldn't put them on us. So we want to start seeing a reversal of the curse. He says because these signs will follow those that believe. Luke 13, chapter 10 through the 17 verse says, Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had an illness caused by a spirit. In other words, a demon was causing this. She was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are released from your illness. Then he laid his hands on her and immediately she stood erect. And again she began glorifying and praising God. But the leaders of the synagogue became indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. They began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work ought to be done. So come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord replied to him, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the saw? and lead it away to water it. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bondage on the Sabbath day? As he was saying this, all his opponents was being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things that were being done by him. Now, on this particular occasion... Jesus did not wait for somebody to ask him a question or wait for the woman to ask him to be healed. Notice he went over to her and healed her. 
this was going to be about the Sabbath day and what it stood for. He just went out and did what needed to be done. Some of us need to go out and do what needs to be done. Being led by the Spirit of God, that's what He wants us to do. Put on Christ. Be motivated. Strengthen ourselves in Him. This episode shows God's purpose for the Sabbath very clearly now. Jesus says, you are loosed. Is that what He said? And that's what he had came for, to loose the bonds, to heal, to strengthen. When one is loose, one is made free. The lesson is clear. The woman was in bondage to an infirmity and had been for some 18 years. Satan had afflicted her with this sickness. Now, on the other hand, that was a Pharisee. To them, the Sabbath was rules to obey come and be healed on the Sabbath. Their rules and their traditions. The ruler of the synagogue then said the Sabbath was unfit for loosening pain or infirmities. And Jesus calls him a hypocrite. He calls him a hypocrite. You want to limit God of the liberty and God of the liberty that this woman has on the Sabbath day. Is not the Sabbath a day made for man and not man for the Sabbath? So Jesus calls him a hypocrite and he says, Does not each or every any one of you would lose his ox to go get a drink of water if you found an ox in a ditch when you pull it out on the Sabbath day? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound for all these years, be delivered and freed on the Sabbath? How plain. Once we begin to see what Jesus did and talked about on the Sabbath, that's why if something happens, you've never seen me saying, well, don't do this on the Sabbath. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. We see the sanctity and the sacredness of the Sabbath in the intent of the Sabbath, Right? And we respect that. But he says the Sabbath was made for man. And they had chose to put a fence up around the Sabbath, not realizing that what God, that Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. Thus, we have a respect of days, he said. But we have to see that is it right to do good on the Sabbath? Is that what he asked him? Shouldn't he do good on the Sabbath? Because we should do good every day. That's the liberty we enjoy in God that sometimes you may have to do something to help someone on the Sabbath. The priests violate the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day of liberation. It is the day God blessed so that we could remain free and no longer be into bondage. And we respect that day as the Sabbath, and we regard the Sabbath, and God had made the Sabbath holy, but God had given us the things to do, and he says the Spirit do it yet work. So if we've entered into crisis, if we have entered into crisis work, uh, crisis rest, we have no respecter of days. Are we understanding what I'm saying? Yes. 
So God has separated the Sabbath, and the Sabbath stands, and that was for a purpose that he created, and that's why he says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. But how was he violating it by healing this woman? Whereas, if you fed your donkeys or did these things on the Sabbath, we're going to do away with the Sabbath, some people say. We, the Sabbath, and you notice we have, find that in Christianity, that if we say we observe the Sabbath or we see the Sabbath day, then they see us as law keepers and say, well, you worship on Saturday or whatever. Well, shouldn't it be no difference than if you worship on Sunday and I worship on Saturday? God had given me Saturday to worship upon. How does that make my whole religious religion different than your Sunday worship? Notice that when you tell some people that you Saturday is your Sabbath, they act like you don't believe in God and we know the Sabbath is biblical. See, because that's how Satan brought the people into bondage is changing God's word, his place and his laws and his observances that's what brings you into bondage is twisting God's truth. Because we see the Sabbath being observed in the new, the new land. We see that that rest, that Sabbath is talked about in Isaiah. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this day, Lord God.